Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Essentials Podcast with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. This week, Pastor John will walk us through Part 5 on the Essential Doctrine of the Trinity. Thanks for joining us today. Years ago, the writer Catherine of Siena wrote this about the Trinity. You, eternal Trinity, are a deep sea. The more I enter you, the more I discover. And the more I discover, the more I seek you. You are insatiable, you in whose depth the soul is sated, yet remains always hungry for you, thirsty for you, eternal Trinity, longing to see you with the light in your light. I think Catherine of Siena describes the joy that can be found in reflecting on the Trinity, in letting ourselves get lost in the Trinity, and in embracing that God is three in one, one in three. This week on Stonebridge Essentials, we are going to be wrapping up this podcast series by looking at how Christians have reflected on the Nicene Creed and its language, and then looking at how that shapes us today, and talking about different ways that we can lean into our identity as Trinitarians, as people who uphold that God is a Trinity, that God is three in one, one in three. I'm Pastor John, and this is Stonebridge Essentials, and welcome to episode five. In this podcast series, we have talked about how important it is for us to reflect on the Trinity. We've talked about the history behind the Nicene Creed, how the creed that gives us the language to talk about the Trinity best, how it developed. We've talked about the heresies associated with the Trinity so that we can see some of the perils when we talk about the Trinity. We've talked about how heresies develop from good intentions, but their problem is that they make scripture not make sense anymore. And then we've talked about the Nicene Creed, which doesn't give us a perfect explanation for God, but it gives us as accurate of a description of how God is presented in scripture that holds the different passages in scripture together in tension. And we've talked about how there's mystery in all of this and how that mystery It's not a bug of the system. It's a feature that this world is mysterious. And that talking about God in the form of a trinity, that lines us up with the experience of the world better than trying to have all of the answers and trying to give people an impression that there is no mystery and we can know everything. The trinity puts mystery at the center of our faith. So this week, we focus on how people have responded to that mystery, responded to the language from the Nicene Creed. And my hope is that we can embrace the Trinity in the way Catherine of Siena does. That the more we reflect on the Trinity, the more we can get lost in the unknowable richness of this form of God that has been revealed to us. So that's our agenda today. In response to the Nicene Creed, Christians have fallen into really one of two camps. Either you begin 
talking about the Trinity with the oneness of God, and you assume that God is one, and then you seek to describe how God is three, and make sense of how God is three with the assumption that God is one, or you go in reverse. You start with the fact that God is three persons, and then you seek to try to describe the one substance and how that works. Those are the two dominant ways of talking about the Trinity. Beginning with the oneness and then describing the threeness, or beginning with the threeness and describing the oneness. The first of these is what's been called the psychological model, and I'm just going to go through this fairly briefly. But the psychological model, it starts with God is one and then seeks to describe in a way that's sufficient of how God can also be three. St. Augustine is the one who gave birth to this model of talking about the Trinity. The famous theologian 20th century Karl Barth also adopted the psychological model. Now, the problem with the psychological model is if you focus on God's oneness too much, you enter into the heresy I talked about in week three called modalism. And that's the danger there. So we still have to remember that talking about God and Trinity is always going to involve a little bit of tension, and it's always going to leave us a little unsatisfied if what we are hoping for is a clear explanation. Now, the other way of talking about God is what's been called the social Trinitarian model. And this wasn't the dominant way of talking about the Trinity until about the past hundred years. And this in the past hundred years has become more and more popular and more theologians and more Christians, they start from the place of God is three. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then they try to describe, beginning with God's threeness, how God can also be one substance. And like I said, this has become more popular in the last 50 to 100 years in theology and in the church. Now, I think that the Trinitarian, the social Trinitarian way of talking about God and the Trinity, I think it's become popular because of deism. Now, if you're not familiar with deism, deism is a kind of broad philosophy. It arose from Christianity, but it isn't discernibly Christian in any real way. Thomas Jefferson was was a deist. Um, Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Many of the founding fathers of this country were deists. And what deism is, is it says there is a God, but this God has set things in motion and then backed off. And that the world kind of runs according to the natural laws that God put into motion. Now, I bring up deism because I think deism is actually the most commonly accepted unchristian teaching in the church. Too often we talk about God in a deistic way. We talk about God as being lofty and above this world and not actually engaging with the world. And in the church, we oftentimes pray in a deistic way and we don't even realize we're doing this. But it's been said that deism is actually the default religion of the United States of America. That there's some Christian language, but functionally it's it's deism that really is dominant. In light of that, especially here in the United States, I think that talking about God's threeness has become 
more popular, and more helpful. It's because whereas the deistic God is detached and sets the world in motion and is just kind of backed off and watching the suffering of the world, the Trinitarian God becomes human to save us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the biblical Trinitarian God sends the Holy Spirit to walk with us through life. And the biblical Trinitarian God suffers on the cross so that death and suffering and sin can be overcome. That, I think, is one of the powerful messages of the Trinity and the Nicene Creed. Like I said, we can't lose sight of the fact that in a Trinitarian structure of God, and talking about God in a Trinitarian way, we are going to talk about the suffering of God because Jesus was God and suffered on the cross. And I think so many people have walked away from Christian faith because of that picture of God as being passive, of not really caring about suffering. But with a Trinitarian understanding of God, we're able to help people understand that Not only does God care about suffering, but God is suffering right alongside each and every one of us so that this world can be redeemed and saved and that that's the message of the cross. That's one of the gifts of a Trinitarian understanding of God. And I think that that's why the threeness of God has been emphasized. Another reason that I think the threeness of God has been emphasized in today's world and is getting more and more popular is because... Our communities are fragmenting. Our communities in our nation are falling apart. Relationships are breaking because of political disagreements. And it feels like we are more divided than we've been in a very long time. But when you look to the Trinity, what you see is three distinct persons in a perfect unity. They are three distinct persons, yet they are one substance. And as Catherine of Siena highlighted for us, the love that the different persons of the Trinity have for one another, the love between Father and Son, the love between Son and Spirit, the love between Father and Spirit, and the love between, did I miss one? I don't know. But the love that the persons of the Trinity have for one another, it reflects for us how we are to love one another in our communities. How as Christians, That's the love that we share between us. The way Jesus talks about the Father and the way Jesus describes the Father loving him. That's the love that we are invited into as Jesus' followers. And that love serves as the foundation for the church, for our lives. It serves as a foundation and the model for everything about our our interactions with one another. And there's something that's powerful, I think, when we understand love not just as a fuzzy feeling, or we understand love not just as having affection for somebody, but when we understand love as an extension of how the persons of the Trinity treat one another and interact with one another. That, I think, is a powerful picture of love and is a powerful basis for community. So, talking about God's threeness, that has become more popular. Now, 
like I said, with emphasizing God's oneness, the heresy that you run the risk of eventually encountering is modalism. With talking about God's threeness, the heresy that you begin encountering is tritheism. That if we emphasize God's threeness too, too much and don't hold it in tension with God's oneness, we start to get three distinct gods, which is not Christian teaching and that's not Orthodox teaching. These are three persons of one substance that love each other perfectly and that we are invited into that same love. That is the social Trinitarian model. It's pretty popular in Eastern Orthodox traditions, actually, as well. Now, I mentioned earlier deism. And I want to really close this podcast series out on that note. Because I do think deism is a very real problem for us. The way politicians talk about faith the way some very popular Christian preachers talk about God is functionally deist. And the more that we embrace deistic language, the farther we get from the biblical revelation of God. And it's not just that. It's not just that we need to be accurate with the Bible just for the sake of accuracy, though that is very important. But we have to remember the biblical language that was given to us to describe God was given as a gift so that we could have a deeper understanding of who God is and of God's love for this world and creation. And when we move towards deistic language, and when we move towards talking about God as though God is, is, is just passive, I think at that point, we lose the biblical witness of God. Now, let me give some examples here of what I'm talking about. When we pray to God and we just use God as the only name that we use. We just say God over and over again. And when we say things in our prayers like everything happens for a reason, even if that is true, if we don't qualify that and balance that out with the suffering that we see in the world and the suffering of God, we're not actually talking about the biblical picture of God. The language that we were given for God isn't just the word God. In fact, it's a completely different term in another language. But the language we were given was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the picture of God that's in Scripture is a God who is not detached, is not passive. And it's not that everything happens for a reason, it's that things happen because God is at work in this world. The more we use this passive language about God, the farther we get from the biblical picture of God that the Trinity pulls us back to and forces us to wrestle with. And that's where Trinitarian language and the Nicene Creed is so helpful. It pulls us back to the truths about God. That God loved us so much that God became human. And that God didn't just abandon us, but God gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to nudge us, to encourage us. Trinitarian language, whenever we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's what it reminds us of. Now, remember, I began this, uh, the, 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 the episode on heresies talking about that quote from Jürgen Moltmann 
about how we have to stay concrete because it's in the abstractions that the heresies are found. And what Trinitarian language does is it forces us to talk about God concretely. It forces us to talk about who God actually is and how God has actually behaved. When I say God, that just that term, you can get any sort of picture. It's a loaded term. But when I say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or when I say Lord Jesus Christ, or if I use the term Yahweh from the Old Testament, then all of a sudden we are talking about a very specific God who has been revealed and it's concrete. And we set ourselves apart from those who have diluted the Christian message with deistic language. We set ourselves apart also from other forms of Abrahamic religions. I mean, the Trinity is what sets Christians apart from the Jewish faith. And the Trinity is what sets Christians apart from the Islamic faith. And the Trinity is what sets Christians apart from the Mormon faith and Latter-day Saints. I mean, the Trinity is what defines us. It sets us apart. But functionally, too often, we use this deistic language, this broad, vague language that starts to make God sound more like the force in Star Wars than the actual God of the Bible as revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So Trinitarian language, one reason it is so important is because it tells the world who the God is that we actually worship. That's why every week at Stonebridge, I end the service with a Trinitarian benediction. I say, may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. Now that's from one of Paul's letters. Paul, the apostle, gives us that formulation. But it's important every week to be reminded of who the God is that we worship. That it's not some vague, amorphous God, but it's the God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ in Trinitarian form that we know through Scripture. I think that's important. And I think that that's really the great gift of Trinitarian language, and that's one of the reasons we should hold on to it. It gives us definition of God, and it defines us as apart from the rest of the world. The other aspect of the Trinity today, and the other aspect of why I think it's important that we acknowledge God's threeness, is that, as Catherine of Siena set the stage for at the beginning of this podcast, that's how we get lost in God's being. We assert through the Nicene Creed that there are three persons within God. They are of one substance and that they love each other perfectly. We can't explain that. There's mystery there. But we assert that. And that gives us our basis for love. Love, like God, is a loaded, ambiguous, amorphous term. It can mean so many things to so many different people. But for us as Christians, love has a very specific meaning. God is love. 
the love that is there between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is love. That is what love looks like. Jesus' willingness to, to be obedient to the Father, that is what love looks like. The Father raising Jesus from the dead, that is what love looks like. The Holy Spirit obeying the Father's commands and being sent by the Father to support God's people, that is what love looks like. The Trinity defines love for us. It makes it concrete so that we're not just left with these vague notions that love is a fuzzy feeling. The Trinity gives us that definition. And then a final reason I think the Trinity is important and why I am grateful for this essential of Christian faith. And I've said this before, I'm just going to reiterate it again here. The Trinity puts mystery at the center of our faith. And in today's world, that's a lot more powerful, I believe, than us trying to have all the answers. When you talk to younger generations, there is an understanding that mystery is a part of this world. We don't have everything figured out. And there's a sense of instability and uncertainty that comes with that. And there's a searching and a wandering spirit. And I think it's important for us as Christians to acknowledge that at the very center of our faith is this mysterious teaching that we can't understand that forces us to say, I don't know. It forces us to adopt a humble posture and to say there are some things we can't explain. There are some things that we can't just put in a nice box and put a bow on top of it. There is mystery in the center of our teachings. That rings true. That, I think, reflects people's experience of the world better. And it gives us a starting point for talking to people about who God is. For people who are feeling lost and uncertain and ambiguous, for them to know that it's okay to not have all the answers, that it's okay to just have a partial answer, I just think it matches people's experience much better than us trying to say, here's the perfect explanation of everything and here's what you have to believe and here's exactly how you have to state it. The Trinity puts mystery at the center of the Christian faith. So, we've been talking about this essential. And more and more, I hope that you notice that in our church services, we have Trinitarian language. That we have songs that reflect the Trinity. That the prayers that are spoken have a Trinitarian understanding behind them. That the sermons that are given understand God as Trinity. And I hope what that does is it helps you to embrace that mystery, to find yourself in the love experience between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and use that as the model for love in our lives. And I hope it helps you understand what makes us as Christians distinct. This idea that God is three in one, one in three, 
and that the persons of God accomplished this grand plan of salvation when Jesus went to the cross, that the persons of God suffered so that we could be saved, and that the one God of the universe reflected in three persons loves us that deeply. So may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. May the love of the Trinity embrace you. And may the love of the Trinity define us as a community. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.